Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Uninhibited. I'm your host, Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki, and today we have the pleasure of having Ms. Terrilyn House with us. Um, she is a breast cancer survivor, but just like all of us, she's a unique individual. And so I wanted to bring her to the show so that she could talk uh, to us about the specifics of how she went about uh, getting her diagnosis and what her life has been like afterward and just um, encourage all of us to really put our health as a priority. So welcome, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, So again, my name is Carolyn. I'm a 51-year-old African-American. I have uh, one 18-year-old son, and then I have a 27-year-old kind of nephew son that I've had the uh, privilege of parenting for the last 20 years. Okay. And um, tell us when, how old were you when your breast cancer was discovered and what was the process? Did you feel something or just tell us uh, what you remember? So um, my breast cancer, I received my diagnosis in 2010. And um, I guess since this is an open forum, I'll say um, I actually um, discovered uh, my lump. Um, with a self-exam, um, and um, as I was examining my breast, I felt uh, a small lump, about the size of a pea. Um, I could say the next morning, of course, I had a sister examine it, and she kind of said to me, she, you know, it felt like a cyst because she'd had cysts uh, in the past, um, but I scheduled an appointment with my doctor that day, and then the next day, my doctor examined the lump and then scheduled a mammogram. I'd say it was probably about two days later I had the mammogram, and I was given the news that it was a cyst and that my body would eventually absorb or break the cyst down. And so I okay. guess you know. So, yeah, I, um, I mean, obviously, and um, we can say that I um, have been a part of your care, but I, since it is, um, more, uh, almost 10 years ago, I didn't remember the specifics, but yeah. so initially you found the cyst. And I do know also that in your family, you've had family members with cystic breast and fibroadenomas, yeah. like benign tumors. And at that time, if it was 2010, then you were just 41 about then 40, 41, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so you got the mammogram. They said it was a small cyst and it would dissolve or go away on its own. 
did they say to come back in six months for a repeat or what was the plan at that time? So, no, there was no plan and there was, um, there was uh, no come back in six months. It just happened that I ha had a procedure with you um, in the next coming weeks. And then when I came back for my six week um, exam with you, um, I, I asked you if you could remove the cyst because um, I just, I, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to walk around with that in my body. And mm -hmm. um, you examined it and it, you, you informed me that, you know, it was really too dense for you to remove there in the office. But um, as you examined it, you, you kind of, I don't know, you, you sent me back for another mammogram. So, um, uh, going back for the uh, additional mammogram, um, I had decided, I guess the first procedure, I kind of went with what I was told. But going in for the second procedure, um, I had made my mind up that um, they were going to uh, either take it out or we were going to biopsy. But I had already reconciled in my mind that there was going to be some type of action. Um, I wasn't just going to listen and just go along with what they were saying to me. And, and so did again, you feel that way? No, we we thank God that you did. But did you feel that way because of um, just something didn't feel right in you? Or just, I can tell, you know, I can share also that I had benign cyst when I was in med school. So I was about... 23. And when you're in medical school, you always think you're going to die. Um, you, you're learning about <laughs> diseases. Yeah. And so you, if you're the certain type of person, you, your mind wanders. And so, of course, I thought I was, you know, that less than 1% of people who would be having breast cancer at 22. Mine was completely benign, but I had the same feeling that you did because I could feel my cyst very easily. Like I could feel it in the shower. Every time I ran my hand over my breast, I could feel it. And I just couldn't, even though the radiologist really was like, look, you know, this looks benign. It's just fluid filled. Um, these will, you know, go away on its own. And I just was like, no, if it's fluid filled, just drain the cyst. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. And he drained it. It was benign and uh, true to the word. I've never had any other cyst that came up like that, but I guess there was something different or some, some decision you made in your mind, as you said, that they weren't going to just kind of pat you on the back and say, come back in a year. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that maybe concerned you or made you think, a little bit was that it had grown. Um, I guess yeah. it was probably at that time, probably about the size, maybe of a quarter. And so okay. it, it went from the size of a pea, a little like a pebble to the size of a quarter. And, and I would say probably about eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and it was dense. So for me, I wanted it removed. Okay. And so what type of did when you had the second mammogram at that point were they like oh this looks like cancer or did it still look like a benign cyst so um when i went back for the second um again we are this is rural medicine so i went back for the second uh, mammogram 
And uh, the way the process was, you either you could speak with the doctor or not. So coming in, I let them know that I wanted to speak with the doctor um, and that, you know, I wanted to either remove the biopsy. So you have the mammogram. And then if you ask to see the doctor, he'll come in and give you the results. And it, it was interesting because he walked in and he said to me, um, well, I understand we're going to do something for you today. And so I just said to him, well, absolutely. So, um, of course, he um, got ready to um, he, to biopsy it because it was very dense, hard as a rock. Almost when he went to insert the needle, it was you could just feel the resistance from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and there was kind of, it was just, it's, for me, it was a very still moment. Um, and I would say probably two days later, my mom and I went back for the results. And then that's when I uh, received the diagnosis. What were your first thoughts, if you can remember? Well, for me, my first thought absolutely was survival. But for me, that survival meant um, leaving this area uh, for my care. It absolutely, that was the second thought was, okay, what's the process? What are we going to do? You know, in my mind, I actually left that appointment, went straight home and I got on my laptop and I started researching uh, facilities. Um, and for mm-hmm. me, uh, I guess this was on a Friday. So for me, I reached out uh, via phone and email to um, Baptist, Wake Forest Baptist, as well as Duke. And I'll say on that, that Saturday, I received a call from the nurse from Duke. And it was amazing to me. It was a Saturday. And she just said to me, um, I just wanted you to know. No, she said the doctors wanted you to know that we received your message and that someone will be calling you on Monday. We didn't want you to think that your message hadn't been received all weekend. And so for me, that level of care at that point, I knew that I was going to Duke. And so that's how that decision was made. That's awesome. That is really, that is understanding how much the earth moves underneath you when you get that type of diagnosis. And so that, um, that, that would have been a no brainer for me also. And just, so the audience understands uh, where we are at. Um, we're in a small southern town with a small community hospital that does treat um, cancer, um, offer chemotherapy and radiation um, and surgery. Um, and I know that the initial doctor that, um, and it wouldn't, the just again, so our audience knows, I'm an OBGYN, and so I am the one that does your breast exams, and then I'll refer you to get a mammogram. But once anything comes back abnormal on a mammogram, it's going to be a general surgeon or a uh, specially trained oncology or cancer surgeon that then actually takes you to surgery. And then you do have a whole team because then you've got your cancer surgeon, you've got your radiation specialist, and the cancer surgeon may also uh, be in charge of the chemotherapy. But um, 
you know, I would, it's something I encourage all of my patients, especially when they get a cancer diagnosis, is to seek a second opinion. Because I think what I remember about your case was that what the doctor locally wanted to do was drastically different than what you ended up having done at Duke. And now, you know, praise be to God and to modern medicine, you are um, almost a 10 year survivor. So, um, so you, you made the decision, a very pivotal decision about where you were going to get care. And then um, the people at Duke reached out to you very quickly to let you know that they, they saw your email they were going to be in touch with you, you know, during the week and, and proceed. So that was probably your, would you say that was your most important decision beyond, beyond saying that I'm going to fight this and I'm going to survive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the level of care um, that I received there was just incredible. Um, there was almost a holistic approach to that care. Um, locally, um, the I guess uh, the suggestion was that we would remove the lump and then do radiation. Um, the difference in care um, at Duke was we did radiation first to shrink the lump, and then they did, uh, and then they removed uh, the lump, and then I did radiation. And because of my age and because of how, at, you know, I was 42 at the time, um, I also did a uh, oral form of chemo. Um, and, and I would really like to say that it's so important that we live a healthy life because, because I was healthy going into this health challenge. Um, Duke, the doctors at Duke were really, really um, able to take me, how can I say, I guess to the edge for treatment. And I mean that as in, like I said, I, I had chemo, um, I had oral chemo, and that was just because my body, I was in good health going into this challenge. And so um, it, it was it was incredible, but the I went on um, the oral chemo uh, to the point that um, I couldn't walk. And at that point, yes, yes. So all the way to the edge. And then um, they removed me from the chemo. And then, um, and when I say I couldn't walk, it was like neuropathy, uh, which was one of the side effects from oral chemo. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and once we reached that point, then that was the end of the oral chemo. So they act, I mean, like I said, just because I was healthy and really strong, then they could, um, I guess, throw everything at it. <laughs> Does that make sense? I would, you know what, I would, that's an interesting point. And just so our listeners understand, um, so she has, she, at 40, 41, she had no other comorbidities. There was nothing else that she was getting treated for. She was seeing me just for a well woman annual mammogram and pap smear had no high blood pressure, no diabetes, no medications besides a multivitamin. Um, Her weight is um, normal, you know, not obese, not overweight, um, but completely normal BMI. And so that P40 
piece of it definitely makes sense to me that because you're so healthy, they're able to go a little bit deeper because someone who already has diabetes is already prone to neuropathy, which is um, kind of losing sensation um, in in your nerves. Um, yeah. And so since they're prone to it, you know, let's say you were able to go up to 50 milligrams, a person who already mm -hmm. has diabetes and is prone to neuropathy, they may only be able to take them up to 20 or 30 milligrams just because they don't want any permanent damage because neuropathy can be permanent yeah. if the nerve damage continues for an extended period of time. So that's, that's a definitely important message to get out that, you know, that's so important to understand your health and how, um, how you need to take care of yourself. So you, you went into the fight as a healthy warrior and um, they, they threw it all at you. So yes. tell us a little bit more about your treatment journey. You, so you started with radiation and you were going down to Duke like once a week for radiation or how often? So I started, I actually started um, with chemo. Um, okay. So what we started, uh, chemo, um, and that was every uh, two weeks. Um, I actually had a port implanted. Um, and so I went down every other Wednesday for chemo. Um, and that was my cycle. So we did that. Um, I'm fuzzy on how long, but um, we did that until um, the lump shrunk down um, to, it became smaller so that the surgery wouldn't be so invasive. And so um, after that, after the lump was removed, then that's when I did radiation. And I did do radiation locally um, in uh, North Carolina, but I did uh, mm -hmm. radiation. And then from radiation, that's when I went on the oral form of chemo. Well, with radiation, so, you do you go like two times a week for that? So radiation oh, was, was that once every a week. Once, once a week. week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then, um, so what else happened after that? What, they they took you to the point where they couldn't take you any further with the chemo. So then they backed off of that. And when did they feel like things were cleared? So we, um, we backed off. And so at that point, you're going about every six months. Um, so, you know, once the side effects of the oral chemo resided, um, I actually was released um, to the survivor's clinic a year early. So oh, wow. uh, now... I yeah, so now I'm a part of the Survivors Clinic, and I go once a year um, for the full workup, <laughs> blood work, and a mammogram, and and um, so that is, uh, I guess you could say that's my upkeep. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, that's that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Did you end up doing any plastic surgery or reconstruction at that point? No. No. Um, because because they only the had to do the lumpectomy. Correct. And actually, that surgery was done by a plastic surgeon that I saw in advance. Um, and you, it's amazing to me that you can't, um, you can barely see my scar. 
you can barely see mm-hmm. my scar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would you say are your important lessons um, that you'd like to share with other women? Um, because, um, you know, you, you had, I think, uh, uh, certainly listening to you, um, those who, again, who don't know her, I feel like you're overall a, a quiet person, reserved. I, you know, I thought twice about approaching you because you are, you know, you keep things close to the chest. And so, but you, I know that you were exuberant about being on the show just because you're also feeling like if I can save one person, if I can help one person by hearing my story, then um, it's okay for me to, you know, be open like this. But um, what are some of the takeaways that you've learned about yourself, learned about the process in going through this? So I would like to share this part. Um, And Mm -hmm. so Duke is a a teaching uh, hospital. And so one of the things that as um, the students would go in and out, um, one of the things they'll ask is, you know, is it okay if we have students come in? And the one thing that I would say is, absolutely, but they have to listen to my spiel of listening to your patients. And so that's absolutely. I, I I am so grateful and so thankful for you because you list, you, you, you listen to what I said to you. You took my concerns seriously and listened to me. And that's how we ended, you know, back for the second mammogram. So, um, that's that's one thing and another is um, we have to be responsible for we have to be partners I'll say partners in our treatment um, mm-hmm. we have to do the research or, or, or reach out for other resources so that we understand um, as much as we can the treatments we understand um, where we are and the side effects of the medications and just we have to partner with our doctors. Um, also, um, I say um, just, just diet. Uh, diet is key for me. Um, I've held on to the diet that I was on uh, when I was going through treatment. Um, Did they put you on a special diet? Can you tell us a little well, bit about that? So it was really just, it wasn't a special diet, but it was definitely mm-hmm. eliminating uh things like fast food where there was no nutritional value. Um, it was definitely um, just living food, um, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables and, and all those good things. And that was one of the things that was key uh, during the treatment, uh, going through chemo, uh, two forms of chemo and radiation. I never lost my appetite, which is um, incredible uh, for anyone mm-hmm. going through chemo. Um, but again, anyone going through chemo, uh, you know, you have those aftertaste and you have different side effects from the medication, but you have to eat. It's just key. Any battle with sickness and disease, you absolutely have to force yourself to eat. Absolutely. And you did lose your hair. That was part of it also. That did. But you, it seems like it grew back even thicker and longer. Yes, and, and I, I'll say one of the greatest things that I learned through this health challenge was that 
um, spiritually, we talk about the flesh. And so the mm -hmm. flesh is the flesh is selfish. So when you mm -hmm. are presented or the body's presented with disease, the flesh will kind of recede back on self to kind of heal itself because that's kind of, you know, what it was created to do. And mm -hmm. for me, um, that left my spirit man free. So I grew mm -hmm. leaps and bounds spiritually. Um, as I told someone a couple of days ago, when you are faced with sickness and disease, um, either you turn towards God or you turn away. Those are your choices. And so I, I truly, I truly believe that um, I'm a stronger person for the health challenge. Absolutely. I would agree with you. I mean, um, but I, yeah, I, well, thank you so much for what you had to say about me. I'm thankful that you are, you know, so much stronger than, um, than, you know, what you used to be, or just, I'm thankful also that you were, um, you know, forthright and demanding. And I think the, um, sometimes people, there's a way to make your needs heard so that, um, you know, that you can couch it in a way that is well understood. Um, but you have to be, sometimes you have to be obstinate and sometimes yeah. you have to go to multiple doctors because you had already seen one doctor gotten an exam and it was, seeing me for something that was different, but kind of, you just was like, can you just look at this also? And then we went from there. So you, we do have to partner with our patients and I would love to see more patients really understand that. And I'd love to see more doctors respect that because at the end yeah. of the day, what I always tell patients is I have thousands of patients, but there's only one you. And so if you want your lab results, then, you know, call us and get them. Yeah. Like, don't assume that no news is good news because things happen. You know, everyone's busy and we'd like to think that, you know, there's a zero tolerance for mistakes, but, and there is zero tolerance for mistakes, but do mistakes happen? Yes, they do. Um, so I think your story is definitely one of, of victory um, and uh, so many lessons that can be learned from starting off at the plate healthy and to continuing those healthy choices um, to to help, you know, increase your longevity. Yeah. So anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Just listen to your body. Absolutely, uh, women, listen to your bodies. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for joining us. And this concludes our episode um, dealing with one breast cancer survivor's story. You can look at the liner notes to find out um, how to get in touch with your local community resources. And really, um, you know, I, this is the way I practice medicine, and I think all of us uh, physicians should practice. It does not at all disrespect me in any way, shape, or form if you want to get a second or third opinion, because either the other doctor is going to reinforce what I've said, 
or if they come up with something different that you prefer, you know, this is a, a consumer um, situation. And so you have to make sure that you educate yourself so that you're the best healthcare consumer so that you can make the best choices for your life and not kind of be pushed into a situation that you're uncomfortable with or pigeonholed or anything like that. So I'm all for more partnerships between doctors and patients. So like, here's to our health and here's to long lives. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Like us on Facebook at Uninhibited Podcast. You can join our conversation offline through Facebook with Uninhibited Podcast or on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. And a special shout out to Trap Quilo for the music.